Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about the intersection of faith and mental health. We're so glad that you're joining us. Do you ever feel like you're the only one who's lonely? Do you ever find yourself wanting more depth and meaning in your relationships? Well, today's topic is loneliness, and those feelings might be more common than you think. We'll talk about the prevalence of loneliness in our society, the way it manifests in different life stages, and what practical steps we can take to address it, and how God's truth of who we are brings us together. Here, as always, are Michael, Evan, and Lindsay. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith, mental health, and just how many unique ideas I can come up with to tagline on these intros, which I am out of this week. So I am joined by Lindsay and Michael, two of my favorite people on the planet. We're so excited. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hey, everybody. It's Lindsay Geist, pastor in the North Georgia Conference of the Methodist Church, as well as a licensed clinical social worker. Good day, everyone. Michael McCord here, and I, too, am a pastor and uh, a leader of campus ministries across the country. Good to be with you guys. And what you don't is that Evan actually tried out three different intros that all just were, they just didn't quite make it today. So I like this, you know, it's a good one right here. Yeah, they didn't make the cut. Raw honesty just needs to happen sometimes. Oh, I think right. totally, totally. Well, and I am Evan. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, I was left in a box on their front porch, and they adopted me as a fully fleshed out adult, a 32-year-old man sitting in a giant box delivered from Amazon. Two days prime for these two who have adopted and uh, welcomed me into their intellectual homes as we talk about faith and mental health. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity for us to be here together. The faces that you guys make at me while we record these are amazing. This week, we are talking about loneliness, which is everybody's favorite topic. Honestly, it's my leading topic uh, when I'm getting to know people at parties, when I kind of get to know new people talking on the phone. You walk up to them and say, are you lonely? On a scale of one to 10, how lonely are you? Now, did, when I now when, when I say how lonely are you, does that make you feel more alone, less alone, the same alone? And it just kind of focus group everybody. So that's why I get invited to a lot of parties. Now, so Lindsay, as do we parties jump, still happen? Nope. I mean they okay. shouldn't. But uh, I mean so, they are. <laughs> <laughs> they are. That's right. That's right. It is 2020, and so uh, there are no rules. All gas, no brakes. So we are, we're on the way. So we're talking about loneliness. Lindsay, just as a, a clinical concept, loneliness is something that I think we've all experienced. And you would say, yeah, being alone is then you experience loneliness. But it's obviously much bigger than that. Give us a little summary here. So loneliness is totally different than being alone. Being alone means... Uh, single, solitary, nobody else in the room or vicinity from you. Uh, I mean, that's more of a physical representation of being alone. Loneliness is when you perceive, uh, you have perceived lack of connections or social supports with other people. Uh, We as human beings crave intimacy and connection And so when we perceive that we don't have those things, we're experiencing loneliness. Hmm. Okay. So before we go any further, I do want to 
Check it out. So you're saying it's perceived lack of support. That's Correct. Not, you said it twice. So there seemed to be a distinction in there. Correct. I think that loneliness uh, is something that other people can't fight you about your feeling of loneliness. Mm. Um, because whether you have actual connections to people or not, uh, if you perceive that they don't feel deep and intimate, then you will feel lonely. The perception is everything. There's not like mm-hmm. a metric that other people can evaluate. You have this many social interactions. It doesn't matter. Even if you're talking to someone actively, if you are perceiving a, that you are disconnected, you can then qualify as feeling lonely in the moment. And that's perfectly justified. For example, I've got some friends uh, who are very outgoing, very gregarious, very energetic, who can go into a room and light up the room and they'll, they'll be surrounded by people and they are surrounded by people. Um, but when they go home, they don't see themselves as having robust or, or, or deep, meaningful relationships with many people, if at all. And so it, from the outside, it looks like they, there's no way in the world they could be lonely because they're surrounded by all these people who, who seemingly love them and want to be around them and invite them to parties and out to dinner. But then when they go home, um, they they don't see that they don't they're not meaningfully connected to other people, and so I think that's the the issue of perception. Um, and, and it's it's one of those I think in particular, really people people who are more public figures, like people who are like pastors, and uh, I, I know this is true among a lot of teachers too, uh, uh, faculty members in colleges, is that they they're surrounded by lots of people and they have lots of relationships, but they. But because they spend most of their day outwardly focused, they may come home at night and feel like they have very few real relationships. And so they experience loneliness in, 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 in a way that maybe doesn't look like it from the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the perception is the reality. Like it doesn't really matter if there's an evidence that there are deep and meaningful connections available. If I don't perceive that they're there and I don't find significance in them, then that loneliness is there. It sets in. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, along with that line, like it's not just like it, it's, it can also be the number, the, the quantity of meaningful relationships too. Like they're like, I particularly um, working with young adults, there's sort of this, perception that society gives us that we're supposed to have you know x number of really good deep meaningful relationships and that if i don't have that quantity let's say we're supposed to have 20 that the sort of perceived reality is that healthy people are or normal people have 20 deeply meaningful relationships with people that kind of friendship level um which is you know not i i don't know anybody who has that kind of breadth but there's a lot of expectation among college students especially that that's how many they're supposed to have um and and so when you don't line up to that then all of a sudden you start looking at what you do have and you look at it as sort of a half empty kind of why don't i have more meaningful relationships Mm. than this and that too can create a sense of of loneliness or that you're not really fully engaged so it seems like uh kind of self-fulfilling prophecy of isolation too that if you feel lonely then you are experiencing that kind of social or emotional isolation but it seems to me that that is more common than 
we would think in that moment. If I'm feeling lonely, I feel like I'm the only one that feels this way. But there's probably some statistics out there that I would imagine say that that's not necessarily the case, that you're not the only one that experiences loneliness. Yeah, it's pretty wild because one of the characteristics of loneliness is that you, uh, I guess maybe one of the symptoms of loneliness is that you think you're one of the only people that feels this way. And so at a time that you most need connection with other people uh, is also the time that you feel like, oh, there must be nobody like me or experiencing this right now. But loneliness is something that statistically a ton of people are experiencing and has been escalating over the years. Um, So if people are feeling lonely right now, know that um, you're not alone in feeling that way. Um, And it is something that's been increasing to the level that it is becoming a concern in both this country and globally. Um, the former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, Murphy, uh, I stumbled over all of that. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Named. Not an easy one, Lindsay. That, Can you like, say that one more time? There's some easy names that you could get out. That is not an easy one. I want to give you permission that that's okay. For as much stuff of his that I've read and things that I've watched and everything, you'd think that I'd be better at it by now. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Uh, in 2017 might have been early 2018, declared an epidemic of loneliness going across the United States. It is so bad globally that in 2018, the UK appointed a minister of loneliness. People that specifically are addressing the fact that this is becoming a real problem globally and really impacting everybody's mental health and connection with one another. It seems like there's those problems that we see an increase in because we widen the definition of what it is. Like we just take it broader so it ropes in more cases or instances of it happening. And this seems like one that just has been pretty static but has just increased over time. Is that the case, Lindsay? This is one that because of a lot of factors has increased over time. Um, The definition hasn't necessarily changed at all. just those influencing factors. Um, One of the key influencing factors is the number of people that live by themselves. Um, I'm trying to avoid using the word live alone, um, which is what's happened, but we don't want to be confusing with loneliness. So pre-20th century, 5% of all households had just one person in them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so only 5% pre-20th century. Um, As urbanization happened, uh, let's think a really long time ago, decline of live-in servants, decreasing in birth rate, uh, the nuclear family starts emerging over multi-generational families, um, that number starts rising of the number of people that are living by themselves. Um, And then in the 1960s, this hit another 
increase when divorce started becoming more prevalent and birth rate started decreasing and people were living longer. Mm -hmm. So now you're having even more of these factors that are influencing how many people are living by themselves. Now, today, about one in four people in the U.S. lives by themselves. 25% of the population is living by themselves. Um, And in big cities, this number is even higher. So a five-fold increase across the country. Mm -hmm. So this is not a... Senior adults and young adults, that that also, those demographics in particular have a lot of loneliness. Correct. Oh, so the curve. Oh, that's really interesting. So Mm -hmm. this is not not an if, this is a when situation for each of us individually and in all of our networks. It's not if you have someone in your life or if you will experience loneliness. It's something that we need to be acutely aware of that it is happening, it is going to continue happening, and it is not going anywhere. Correct. It's something to be incredibly mindful of in all of your networks and community and people that you love and care about. If you're not wrestling with feelings of loneliness right now, my guess is is that somebody that you really care about is. Um, Even if you feel a strong connection to them, if they're perceiving being alone, um, not alone, if they're perceiving feeling disconnected from people or lacking deep, intimate connections, then they're feeling lonely. This is something that has been really exhausting for me uh, over my adult life. I think you, you, you segmented and you know, I'm, I'm 32. uh, So there's a, a bit of a shift in American society, you know, out of college where you work, the people that you're connected with moving away. I think I experienced it in a different way. The first time I moved away from deep connections, because I went off to college and I was roommates with friends from back home. I had like continuity of connection. My wife and I got married and we moved to another town where we really didn't know too many people. We only had one or two. And I, I generally don't have any kind of challenge creating new relationships having conversations and things like that. But I think it really surprised me when I felt a lag in the meaningfulness of that connection is when I really experienced that gap is that I'm hanging out with people, but I don't feel these new connections are significant. I feel like I have quantity, but I feel like the, the depth and the, the value that I'm feeling understood in these has changed. And that was really surprising and very eye-opening for me. I think like a lot of problems, you aren't really acutely aware of it until you or someone that you're close to has experienced it can create a bit of a disconnect. But it is very tiring when we see these in social circles because you you don't want your friend or family member to feel lonely or disconnected. But then when they do, but you're there making an effort, but they still feel that way. It's that's kind of hard not to take personally, I think too, because you're extending like an effort, like an olive branch, like I want to help this out. And then when you don't feel like there's progress, it's like, well, what am I chopped liver? Like, am I, what am I doing here? Like, I'm really trying to help. So this problem seems evident in most places and our understanding of how to deal with it seems pretty important. Yeah, it's, um, it is really prevalent. Three in five Americans report feeling lonely, uh, according to a survey uh, done by Cigna in 2019. Three in five. Um, so it is something that 
we need to figure out how to be having more conversation about all of this, uh, how to normalize it, that it's not shameful to feel lonely. Uh, it, it doesn't say anything about your friendships either necessarily. There are some really great friends that don't, uh, that you enjoy doing things with, but might not provide that same emotional intimacy and just navigating how those friendships can be helpful and wonderful to you as well. Mm -hmm. But maybe it means that you are looking or needing something else in your life in an upcoming Mm -hmm. season Um, and recognizing when friendships shift over time that Mm -hmm. there's, I don't know if y'all have experienced this, but there's some of those friendships that are so close and deep and intimate. And then as things happen in life and things shift, then those friends don't feel as close and important to you anymore. Um, And it can feel complicated to navigate that time Mm -hmm. as you start finding other close, deep relationships uh, to feel that connection to people, to not feel lonely. Mm. Yeah. There's some interesting things I've been, uh, I'm thinking about in this episode it, it kind of directly in response to what you just said is if you look back to one of our earlier episodes on individuation, um, what we're seeing, you know, p- part of the natural cycle uh, is that you, you're growing and you're becoming yourself and you're, 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 you're detaching from your old sort of your upbringing and becoming uh, your individual self. And that creates a lot of, it may create tension where friendships that were much more deeply connected now are a little bit further spaced out because you've gone in one direction. They they've, or they've gone another. Michael just lost his headphones and they fell directly onto his microphone. Michael is now digging under his desk. He's, he's retrieved the headphones. He's putting the AirPod back in his ear. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael McCord is back. Is is Um, this what happens when you don't have sports? You start commentating all regular life stuff. (laughs) That's right. Everything should be a, I can do that. Lindsay shows up today. She's in a professional dress. She has a gl- she has glasses and her bangs are done. Her bangs are what she always comments on when we get on the video call. They are the marker. There is an indicator of the Lindsay bang. And oh, she is using a blue snowball as her speaker, a white version of it. Um, <laughs> what I was saying is, so you, so you get this natural separation between as you grow. But, but I, there's some other interesting things that are happening in society that I think that you sort of alluded to, uh, Lindsay, too, that, that may be enhancing this experience of loneliness. For, for example, um, in 1960, uh, the average age a woman was married was 18. Um, the first child came within, generally within the first year. And so a young woman would grow up in... Uh, it, for incidentally, for men, it was 20 and 21 um, average uh, age of first marriage and first child. Um, and so you would you would grow up inside your family unit uh, and you were part of um, a community, maybe a church community. And so you had a lot of intergenerational relationships as a child growing up. Um, and then you would uh, men would go to college uh, or get a job. Women would get married at generally almost very immediately after uh, high school. Um, and then you would have a family almost immediately and you'd have children and that would provide this other social network that, that would create relationships for you. 
Well, today, the average age of first marriage for women is 29. And the first child is 33. Hmm. Um, and so what, and on top of that, um, when you look at uh, social structures like the church and uh, intramural athletics and those sorts of things, um, that we have segmented age groups. So if you're a child growing up in the United States today, um, you're going to go to church and you're going to be and you're going to stay in your cohort. So you're going to be surrounded by people just your age. So we're going to outsource, you know, you'll have your own worship service. You, you, you might have your own the small groups. You may never interact with senior adults at all or other generations of, of adults yeah. uh, or children. And so then when you graduate high school, you uh, go on to college and you're still segmented in your cohort of age. But then when you graduate, uh, from college, you might go on and most are, a lot of students are getting master's and, and doctorate degrees. And so you continue in this cohort model. But then when you get out into the to the world and you're in the workplace, you're surrounded by people of all different generations. But you've had no experience building meaningful relationships with people who are of a different age than you. And it's, so you you interrupt this this whole cycle of inability to make relationships. Hmm. Um, and then you don't you're not married. Uh, you're married later. You're having children later. And so those natural life cycle moments where you connect with other human beings around a shared experience are happening further and further apart. So you, you got this big gap, particularly for young people. Um, well, also, when you finish school, it is the first time that you don't have a built-in community. And you have yeah. to create your own. So not only is it multi-generational, but it's the first one that your community is not just handed to you. Mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Um, I don't know about y'all in your experience, but for me, that was something that was really sad and hard when I finished graduate school, was I went from having people around all the time uh, and people that you did lots of life with to people being very separate mm-hmm. and segmented. And I missed having all of those built-in people that I saw every day and we lived and did life together. And it was a big adjustment. Yeah, you have a shared experience, a shared understanding. Mm -hmm. You're sort of forced together into these cohorts. Uh, And then in the real world, uh, outside of, not that college and and all those aren't real. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that kind of phrase. So beyond those constructed realities is this very diffuse world where you're, you're, you have to work really hard to make friends and it's, it's hard to make those, those leaps. I can tell you now, this is very, Emily and I, uh, when we moved shortly after we were married, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, away from all of our family. Um, And that was those first two years were our, maybe our hardest, definitely our hardest in our marriage and and maybe even our personal lives, just because we uprooted from a, a deep rooted, connection mm-hmm. to people and relationships to a place where we knew no one. Mm-hmm. And we tried so hard to make friends and it was so hard to, to, to get into those circles and to, to actually find people who, who you could share life with. And um, that's embarrassing. It's hard. I'm, I'm guessing that what made it easier is that when you started finding people that shared certain milestones with you, that uh, there was like a common thread of something to talk about or connect around. Yeah. For us really, the, and, and this is the, it was having a child. 
Once we had mm-hmm. a child, then we were back into this constructed space where we went to preschool and we and our first friends were parents of other preschoolers mm-hmm. because we had this shared experience. Um, well, we so, yeah, yeah, no, just that's fix it. it. Just if, have kids. If you feel lonely, just have a kid. Somehow go and acquire a child. So take on a lifelong response. I'm, I feel lonely. Acquire child. Fix. Okay. Well, let's, wrap, let's wrap the podcast. Everybody that's listening, they are totally joking. <laughs> <laughs> and if you are somebody that that is something that you are struggling and not able to do, or is something you desire and has not happened for you, that might not have felt as funny a joke, but they were joking. So I, I don't have y'all to hear children. Or, or on I the just... flip side of that too, <laughs> Lindsay, is that you do have children and you might find yourself more lonely than you've ever been because, oh, yeah. because yeah. you spend your life revolves around these, these children that you care for and you're responsible for. And so your personal life, uh, maybe you're working a job or two jobs or three jobs to make ends meet, to take care of your children. And you find yourself really, really lonely and realize and it, that that's not the place. And I'm glad you said that too. And I interjected not because I don't love y'all and don't laugh, but in all the work that I've done over the years um, in my private practice, I find that sometimes the things that we laugh the most about are the things that people wrestle with the most. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want anybody hearing that and going, okay, they don't get me. Um we know that it's way more complicated than that. There are no quick fixes either direction. Yeah. Just go on target and get the, get the Chip and Joanna Gaines cool looking child off the shelf and then fix all your lonely problems. That's, that's the solution is shiplap and children. That's (laughs) and distressed antique barn doors. I mean, that's, That's it. But I think that illustrates to some extent too, like just the seriousness of society. I think that what we're talking around the general, what are the environmental factors that have fostered this feeling of loneliness? Because I think what we're going to address in a few moments is, okay, that's great that I understand all the societal factors and the historical things and the statistics, but I feel lonely now. I'm going to feel lonely sometime in the next year, probably. What do I do about it? And I think we want to get there. But this idea that everything has to be so serious and the economic pressure to have everything be some kind of side hustle that I think people in the younger generation especially feel makes it in some ways easier to just have fun with people and build those connections. Uh, But then in a lot of ways, it feels like everything has to lead to something. Everything has to be a product that you can display, that you can show, that you can showcase as as part of your accomplishment. And I think it really has kind of hindered us from actually making connection, which is the perception of connection is the thing that combats loneliness, correct? Yeah. And I I even think about how so many of us... um, are driven people and um, like goal-focused things. Um, And for the first time that life isn't linear Mm. uh, and everything doesn't fall into place, um, not that our life has always fallen into place, but it's very clear of like step A to step B to step C a lot of times in our brains. The first time that doesn't happen we can either feel like a failure and often we feel slightly lonely 
Mm. in those times. Like I'm not matching with everybody else or I'm running behind or something like that. Um, And so it's helpful to think through that we're all going to hit those just at different times of when we feel like we're not quite catching up or aligning with everybody else. Right. Well, in, in an effort not to over-diagnose ourselves, you know, just like your first psychology class that you get into, you're like, oh, I think I have everything that we talked about in class today. <laughs> like, I, I think I'm depressed, ADHD, OCD, I might have bipolar, right? Like, you just see yourself and all the symptoms. If I'm feeling that complex series of emotions that I think could be loneliness, what can I do to have some kind of external source to assess that? Like, how do I start to sort that out of my brain? Are there, is there like, like, can I take a BuzzFeed quiz? Do I need to, like, what is, what do I need to do? It always helps. I think BuzzFeed quizzes, any, yeah, any, you know, five steps to happiness kind of things really, they're really helpful. Do I need to buy another Joel Olstein book? Do I not have enough Joel Olstein books? I mean, all, all of these things that we talk about every episode really is that simple, right? There's usually five steps by the time you finish listening to us. You can solve it all. And, you know, we've never experienced these things, right? And but, and life know, is good. I mean, that's know, not true. I mean, there are not steps true. that we take, but uh, we seem to have this belief that there could be some quick solution. Yeah, it just becomes but, one more thing that if I could just get it together, like if I was just stable enough to identify that it was loneliness, then I can insert the process, download the app that's going to get me out of this rut. We, we joke about it, but, but um, we, we know that some people do really believe that there's just this thing that they just have to do. But, but one of the challenges I confront the most in, in regard to this kind of quick fix is, is religion. It's this spirituality that belief that loneliness is a symptom of that you have not, uh, like we've talked before, mental health issues um, is a symptom of a lack of faithfulness and that all you really need to do, if you're lonely, that you don't have a good enough relationship with Jesus and you just need to pray harder. Um, you need to, you need to do more. You need to, you're not living right. You're not measuring up. You're not pure enough to have friends. And, and, and so I, I do think we need to be aware. And I don't, I don't know, Lindsay may have had some specific cases that she's encountered in this regard, but, but I've certainly worked with students in particular who come, who, who encounter loneliness in a really palpable way in college and believe that there's something wrong with them. And there's something wrong with them generally spiritually. Um, there's something wrong with their physical appearance. There's something mm-hmm. wrong with who they are as a person, their personality. Um, and, and they just, they think that it's it generally think it's just a failure on their part that they're experiencing loneliness and they just need to work harder mm-hmm. or do more. And if, if, or not be themselves. if you're feeling lonely, and I know this is my go-to answer, go find a therapist and somebody to talk to. Um, because some of the symptoms of loneliness um, can look a little bit like some of the symptoms of depression. Uh-huh. And so they can be interwoven at times. And sometimes they are two totally separate things. And you can feel lonely and not experience any depression whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but s- struggling to be able to connect with other people 
um, in an emotionally intimate way uh, can be some from some of our own family background uh, of things that we bring to the table. It can be from some of our depressive symptoms that make it hard for us to try to connect. It could come from some social anxiety that we don't feel comfortable enough in ourselves to reach out. Uh, and it might just be totally separate in this desiring deep connections and not knowing how to find them or having them. And then they've kind of shifted out of our lives. Right. What if I mildly interject sarcastic humor in order to deflect situations and conversations every time they turn towards intimacy, because I'm afraid I won't really ever connect with somebody hypothetically. It can be scary to be vulnerable. <laughs> Hypothetically. Okay. For your hypothetical person, it can be scary for them to be lonely, right? I mean, for them to be just vulnerable and say that they might feel a little lonely or a little uncomfortable. I, I could just tell you one specific example that happened to me. It was very vivid. I'm sure the person did not mean to hurt me the way they did, but I, when we was I told you we, we moved to Nashville and I got, uh, I, I took a job that required a lot of extensive travel. So I, I flew every single week all over the world. Um, so I had real, I mean, there were real, cha- there were real challenges to have friends, uh, new community, um, no relationships. And then being gone 70% of the time um, is not a good mixture for relationships that are meaningful. And I got, I got really sad and really lonely, um, probably six, six, eight months into this, this move. Um, and I got the guts, this, this one person from church, we, we, we finally settled on a church and we, this one person, we talked a few times and I thought, I'm going to make the effort. No one's invited me to lunch or to any, like, I just wanted to go eat with somebody, just hang out with somebody. And I made the effort to, to, to call them that I didn't really know and just say, Hey, uh, could we get together? And we got to lunch and I was just, I, I uh, decided to be really vulnerable and say, I'm just lonely. I'm looking, you know, I really appreciate this. It meant a lot to me. I've been, trying to make friends and I don't really know how to do that. And the person, the person said to me, I really have enough friends. I've got a lot of friends. I don't really have room for more friends. Um, really? And I can just, I know that that person, a was a little socially awkward now that I know that person more. Um, and just didn't know the right things to say, but also like, I don't think, that, that they meant to be to, to hurt, but I can tell you, I didn't make that risk again for a very long time mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because it took a lot to be that vulnerable with somebody. And it hurt a lot mm-hmm. to just sort of be shut down um, and, and talk about make you feel, I don't dumb, uh, not worthy I'm trying to think of all the kind of labels that I was experiencing when I went home, when I took that drive home from, from what I thought was going to be a really kind of fun experience to, to have a new relationship with somebody. Um, I just share that because as a way to be vulnerable in this episode, to, to say that, that we all experience loneliness and it's really hard. 
And I think two things that came out of that experience for me is that one, that, that we all do this, we all have to go through this. And we all struggle to figure out what it's like to make relationships in adulthood, especially. Um, but the other is to be aware of people around you. Because I, I think that experience made me more aware that there are people around me who are very lonely mm. and who are trying to make that kind of leap. And, and it's, I, I think it's a healthy responsibility for us to be looking for those people and try to invite them into relationship with us. Mm. I think that's important for the kingdom of God that if that we look for those people and if we don't have the bandwidth for adding another deep connection, finding a way to help that person connect elsewhere, possibly instead of saying, I can't have any more friends. <laughs> um, we're not- now, I've never met another person who's, who's, who's literally used those phrase, that word, those words. I know people who thought that, but not actually said, I don't really need any more friends. But you're right. I mean, not everyone has room for more friendships. Like they, they know that they're, there's their bandwidth is full, but I think there is this awareness of how we treat people and how we may connect people to others. Yeah. It's interesting also what we are, how our needs change the older we get. So Mm -hmm. the younger we are, um, quantity of friends is more important than the depth of friends. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, And by depth, I mean, like how vulnerable and intimate those friendships are. Um, But the older we get, we are capable of reducing the number of friendships we have uh, in return for some of the depth of those friendships. And that's just uh, something that happens, I mean, just naturally. Mm-hmm. for people over time that that shift starts taking place. So if I'm experiencing loneliness individually, I set my expectations about like a good next step to move out of that state. Like, do I, is it, do I focus on one thing? Do I try and reconnect with a friend? Do I make a pie chart? of the relationships that help me not feel lonely and then pursue the one with the biggest slice of the pie. I just think the task can seem really daunting partially because of the way that loneliness makes us confront our self-worth. And if we consider that we're a person of value that someone would want to spend time with, it seems like a really daunting task. Yeah. And I don't think that there's a perfect way to go about it. I think several of the things that you said can be helpful. Who in your life really enriched it and you felt really connected to in previous seasons? Maybe that's somebody that you can reconnect with. Um, I know that in my life, there are some people that have been near and dear to my life and, and still are, but we had some of those really busy seasons where I couldn't manage quite as many friendships uh, or one of my dear friends um, went through some pain and loss and said, I'm sorry, I just didn't have the bandwidth for all of my friends mm-hmm. right now and kind of needed to come in on myself a little bit um, after she had had a few miscarriages. And 
it's, I, I think that we can sometimes cultivate, recultivate some of those friendships. Um, and it requires some vulnerability of here's where I had to pull away a little bit and now I'm ready to jump in mm-hmm. again. And then maybe there's some others that those have phased out those friendships and they're not necessarily going to come back or need to come back. And then we start identifying, okay, who are other people that I would like to get to know? Mm-hmm. Is there anybody that I could call? Um, I describe friendship and making a new friend sort of like uh, going on a first date mm-hmm. is that you get nervous asking them for lunch or coffee or to meet for dinner um, or whatever you do or meet to go for a walk or play tennis or whatever. And you get those same jitters that you would asking somebody out on a date. Like, are they going to say yes? Are they not? Are they going to say no? Do they want to spend time with me? Do you think they like me? Do you think they hate me? Maybe they already have somebody else in their life that they don't want to spend time with me or don't have Mm-hmm. the ability to. And then um and then it's like a first date and the fact that you, the first time you're together it's kind of a little small talk like let me get to know you a little bit, let me ask some of these awkward questions. But what you're doing is kind of doing this dance of slightly uh with each question revealing a little more and being willing to trust each other to become slightly more vulnerable. And then as you meet again and again, you can reveal a little bit more of yourself as you are testing, can I trust this person? Mm-hmm. Um, so also being kind to ourselves that it's going to take a process to build a relationship with somebody. You can usually, um, a lot of people can feel from the beginning of this is somebody that I would want to and would feel safe enough to do so. Mm-hmm. Um but the depth of that relationship isn't necessarily going to show up right away. This feels like something that we might need to intentionally revisit at different segments of our lives, what our expectation is for relationships. Because I, if I feel like we're going through like how to make friends 101. Mm-hmm. Like, like I feel like we're explaining how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like we're laying out the process. Like first you pick up the phone. You dial the number, but probably don't call somebody. You should text them first. Like, take out the bread. Hold the bread in one hand. Pull out the knife. Stick the knife into the jar. Like, it seems like we're breaking it down into, like, its minutia in a way that I'm realizing we may have always just allowed the natural social structure of society that we've addressed before to be the thing that just carries through. And we haven't really rethought the way that we connect with people and how we measure whether those relationships are significant and how we allow our faith and our soul connection that we have with people. Because I think that's what's different about the way that we're approaching and talking about loneliness is that we in this podcast as as Christians believe that God has created everyone with sacred worth and that God is at work and moving in everyone's lives simultaneously and dynamically. And that that connection of what's happening there is essential for who we are as humans, as, as created beings with worth and purpose. 
And so our understanding of that seems to be important to rethink rather than to take the elementary understanding of I have friends. When I spend time with friends, sometimes I feel good. When those friends are mean to me, sometimes I feel bad. And I think that sometimes we just allow that childhood and family perception of connection to be the way that we define it at different stages of our lives. But if we cling to that and never take the opportunity to deconstruct it and then rethink it, we're missing out on some opportunities for significant connection that could really be right in front of us just because of the expectations that we put on what that process looks like and how it happens. It it requires some self-check-in. Uh, every so often to say, what do I really need right now? Because maybe in different seasons, we need different things from our friends. And so a friend may have, you may have felt incredibly connected to a group of friends when for that season, you just needed a group to gather with so that you didn't eat dinner by yourself. And, And that felt good to you. And then you're in another season of your life where gathering together, but without talking about the really hard things about your day or your life, uh, just feels busy and empty, which when the exact same activity previously felt very Mm life-giving. And that's all about what season are you in and what do you need and want? And Sometimes when we start feeling lonely, it requires this step back to say, okay, what's really going on here? Has Mm -hmm. something actually changed or have my needs changed? Because that's definitely been true in my life that my needs have changed. And I kept trying to go back to the old way all the time. And it wasn't working for me anymore. And I had to spend some time going, why does this not feel like it's working? Oh, I think I need something and want something else. Mm-hmm. I think you both bring out really important points. Um, <clears throat> one, Lindsay, when you talked about it's kind of like dating, uh, when I was describing my experience to you uh, about about the guy who said he had he had enough friends, it, it as I was as I was talking about it, it's like wow, it sounds like I was trying to date this guy. Uh, and all these things I was trying to go through to, to negotiate friendships. So I think there is there are a lot of similarities because it's about you're looking for not just an acquaintance, but someone who you you can share part of your life with. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think there is some of that sort of courting, if you will, um, and figuring out who they are and who you are. And if, if you guys line up and have some shared values. Um, to Evan, to your point, too, I think it is like right, learning how to ride a bike again, um, because I think I, at least in my my life, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's true for others, is friendships and loneliness are kind of cyclic. Um, mm-hmm. Things happen. I can see, you know, when you're young, you have certain like we talked about certain kinds of relationships, maybe a lot of them. Then you, you make some transitions. You feel lonely. Then you have you, you perhaps you get married or, or you partner with somebody and you have children or you or you, you have this new social group around your, your workplace. Um, and then you, then you come around to empty nesters too. Your kids go off and so much of your life revolved around what your kids were doing and their friends and their parents. And, and then there, and then you've got to find out how to make mm. friends again. And then you lose your spouse, either divorce mm. or, or death. And you've got to figure out how to make friends again in, as a, as an older adult. And I think each time it's, it's like learning how to ride a bike all over again, because mm-hmm you've changed the world has changed out there and and you 
you've got to try to figure out how to how to navigate the new reality. And I think that's so I think giving yourself some grace mm. um, in those moments that you don't know. I, I, I was thinking, again, kind of dating, I've, I've worked with a lot of um, divorced people who are dating again, who just close friends who who will confide in me about those and, and struggles that they've had with that. And I think that's a, you know, trying to date after being married and figuring mm-hmm. out how to date. If you haven't been dating for a while and all of a sudden you're, you're, it's a very scary endeavor. Um, yeah. And I think friendship making is the same way. Do you guys remember big wheels? Oh, I love big wheels. The yes. plastic. It's a, it's a, if you didn't have a big wheel, it, it it went along with like the cozy coupe, like the plastic car that like a lot of us that grew up in like played with as kids. A big wheel is like that. It has this is going to shock you. It has one really big wheel on the front, <laughs> and it's a tricycle, but it's all plastic. And and it's, I'm thinking about your analogy, Michael. I think it's like learning like the mechanism of addressing loneliness is something that we've, we've had to deal with at all times. We've made it this far. We've all had to address loneliness in our lives to one degree or another. But a lot of the time, like it's, it's like learning how to ride a new bike. It's like, I'm trying to take a big wheel down a flight of concrete stairs and like life is tough right now. Like hypothetically, I mean, it's difficult season, but like when life is tough, I feel like I'm taking, I know how to ride a bike and I'm trying to take this big wheel down a mountain and I, there's a there's a mechanism for that. It's called a mountain bike. It is a it is a vehicle that you learn to ride that is equipped that is a skill set that helps you to navigate more difficult terrain. And we take the same coping mechanisms and the same methodology that we took growing up to learn to ride a big wheel because we look at the problem. We're like, I got this, but we're taking this tiny plastic toy and trying to take it down a mountain when we really need to learn and address more of what the mechanism and vehicle that we're using to approach these actual problems in our life with. And I think that's a tendency that we have is to reach for the familiar when the familiar is not always the appropriate, right? Like that what is familiar to me is not always going to be the appropriate thing that's going to work. And when we deconstruct that emotionally and socially, it doesn't come as easy as when you're trying to chop up an orange with a spoon it's like if that makes sense because we're in the kitchen and we're like why isn't this thing cutting well it's because it's a scooping mechanism right like you're just not using the right thing you don't have the right tools in your hand to actually accomplish what you need to do and that creates a lot of frustration and if we look at it when we see our friends doing it from an external perspective we're like what are you doing? This is crazy. But we're so focused on what's in front of us and what we need and what we're feeling in the moment that we're unwilling or incapable to let go of the familiar in order to take on what would be a more appropriate means to address what's actually going on in our lives. I think you're, you, I think you're highlighting a really interesting facet in my experience and in, in helping people find friendships and um, and partners, it, you know, in, in working with young adults, you can imagine there's a lot of pressure, um, put on them to find their spouse or to be in a dating relationship. And, um, one of the facets of that is that sometimes, um, the, we put this pressure so great on us to find that, that when we, when we encounter new relationships, we immediately put on the expectation is this person the one is this, you know, and, and that weight is both 
in you and on the relationship itself. And it ends up creating a, a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy when, when the obsession, when we become really obsessed with trying to find the one, then we end up in places where we've, where, where our relationships aren't able to sustain themselves because of the pressure we're putting on ourselves and, and on the relationship itself. And I think that's the same thing in helping people find um, a break from their loneliness is I think that loneliness can sometimes become a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, because it's like depression. When we start to feel lonely, we sort of tend to, to s- stick to ourself and, and we stay inside and we don't go out and, because we, we don't feel like we could go out by ourselves because society says you need to have, you know, you can't eat alone. It's weird to eat alone. That's it's one of the things I've experienced as someone who travels a lot by myself is that, you know, there, there it's, it's, it's always weird to go in a restaurant and ask for a table for one. Um, and, you know, so society sort of put up that energy. And so it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy where we where we we're lonely, we don't feel comfortable. Society says we shouldn't go out, and so we end up staying in. And then we and then then relationships that we have become um, both really important and really sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on those relationships mm-hmm. um, and those places of loneliness. So I want to revisit a, a little bit of uh, an actual. A metric to be able to assess because I think sometimes we need that external perspective to understand if what we're experiencing is actually loneliness and Lindsay you've mentioned a tool that has been developed over the years that is kind of like a standard for assessment of what it is what is that so there's a loneliness scale out there um, and I, I'm not encouraging every person to go be their own clinician and you don't have to be your own therapist and go solve all this. But I do think it's a helpful thing to start with. Uh, UCLA put out uh, the loneliness scale and over the years it's been kind of updated in iterations. So whatever you Google, you might end up with some different iteration of this scale. Um But it asks some statements and for you to evaluate never, rarely, sometimes, or often, Mm -hmm. how how do I feel these things? Um, And some of the phrases are, I feel in tune with the people around me. I lack companionship. I do not feel alone. I am an outgoing person. I feel isolated from others. There are people I can talk to, or there are people that I can turn to. I have a lot in common with the people around me, or I am no longer close to anyone. And these questions, uh, these statements are all there for you to be able to figure out whether that feels like you or not, and it might be a tangible way to have a place to start to say, okay, am I experiencing some extreme loneliness here? Mm. And from there, we can try to figure out, okay, what do I really need? What do I want to do next? And so again, it's not, it's not a scale that automatically can just fix everything. But I think sometimes it's helpful way to put 
words in front of you to help define how you're feeling. This is maybe this kind of thing that we shouldn't like just send over to a friend and be like, hey, things seem bad. Take this UCLA loneliness scale. Let me diagnose you. Yeah, it's never good when you try to diagnose people you love um, or even people you don't love. Like if you're not trained in it, um, don't sit around just trying to put everybody in a box. All I like time. to psychoanalyze my So enemies. you should not walk up to somebody at the airport and say, you know, you look depressed. You know, here's my friend Lindsay's card. You should talk to her. So funny enough, a dear friend of mine, um, the way that we and, and this story has been told so many times. So I am not, I, I'm sure I have permission to tell this story. I had been in the North Georgia Conference of the Methodist Church. Uh, that's where I went through the process of ordination and everything. But I had, hadn't lived in North Georgia since I was 18. And I finally moved back, I think, when I was 28 or 29. And so I hadn't always come to annual conference, which is the big gathering that happens every summer where all of the ministers come together and all a whole bunch of laity um, church members come together and you gather, you gather and you vote on things and then you mostly fellowship. It's like coming back for a college reunion. I love it. Um, But when you come there for Michael's face is like, I might not. My extroverted self loves it. It's my favorite time of year. Um, But I love it now. Okay. I loved the concept of it before. But when I first came to annual conference, I knew no one. Like I went to seminary at far away from most people I knew. um, In Ketchikan, Alaska. Yeah, no. In North Georgia, most people go to Candler at Emory, and I went to Duke. Um, And so I was kind of like the outsider. (gasps) I left and chose that other school, Um, partly because they, I know, they let me get my dual master in social work as well over at Carolina. thoughts about those Duke people. And um, anyway, that was a long tangent of coming back to my story. So a dear friend of mine sees me and sees that I don't really know anybody and I'm kind of floundering around and I didn't really know where to sit or what to do. And she walks up to me and she goes, hi, my name is, um, I'm like, should I really say, my name is so-and-so and and, uh, you look sad and lonely. I'll be your friend. I mean, I'm not kidding. I love people like that. That's a heck of an icebreaker. I am not kidding. She's like, you look, and she didn't think twice about it. You look sad and lonely. I'm so-and-so. I'll be your friend. And I'm thinking, I really hope I don't look sad and lonely. I just look like I don't know anybody. The running joke is years and years and years later. um, Well, I guess I should say who this is because the story is full circle. Emily Case Whiten. Um, she, uh, she ended up giving my, my stole at ordination. We have stayed friends for years and years and years. Um, she laughs years later that she said, you're actually one of the most extroverted people I know that easily can connect and make friends and make people feel welcome. 
I really didn't pick up on the fact that you just simply didn't know anybody <laughs> and you weren't necessarily lonely right then. But she's like, I just named it and went out there and wanted you to feel safe and comfortable. So I just walked up and said, you looked sad and lonely. <laughs> she's like, from now on, I know that that's probably not the best tool to make new friends. But uh, you learn and you grow. But we joke all the time when... Now I walk into annual conference and I know tons of people and love getting to spend time with people. And she's like, remember that time when you first got here and I thought you looked sad and lonely? Yeah, no, you're not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, how bold of somebody to, I mean, awkwardly call it out, but also create the space to be like, come on in. You're welcomed. Join me. Mm. Um, What would it be like if we did that for more people? Oh, well, I have this theory that no one can look cool holding a lunch tray looking for their friends. Like it's impossible yeah, that's true. to walk out of like any kind of cafeteria setting. And if you are holding a tray of food, like gazing around the room, if you'll ever find yourself in those situations, the coolest person in the world, you could give them a lunch tray with some food on it and then have them stand there looking for someone else. And you just look like a lost puppy. Like it doesn't even matter. It's one of my we, favorite We all things. go back to middle school cafeteria yeah. in that moment. When I do it with yeah. adults, like, so you've got 40, 50, 60 year old, especially like a men's conference, like, like older men, like they walk out and they turn that corner out of that line and they're looking around for their friends. And it's like, everybody is back to like zero. We're all in middle school again, looking for our friends in the lunchroom and somewhere to sit. It is one of my favorite, most hilarious moments at retreat. What it says is that we deeply long to be connected with other people. And we all can feel awkward and lost when we don't have those connections Mm. to other people. So I think your story highlights two things that I think would be really helpful to talk about. So, and I'll, I'll, this is sort of advice that I've given students and then advice I gave myself when I was in Nashville and that I think you highlight, you went, you went to a place where there are people, you made yourself Mm -hmm. vulnerable. Um, What I found in my own personal life is to go to same places over and over again. So like if you um, eat at the same restaurant every Wednesday night, you'll start to see some of the same people. You'll start to build a relationship with the people who work there. Um, and there's built, starts to build some consistency and you'll run into people over because people frequent the same places, you know, joining a gym and working out at the same time on a regular basis, you start to identify people who share something in common with you and you start to, to build relationships with them. And, uh, so you can think through like all the things that you do in life. Mm-hmm. Um, think about ways you can do that with some sense of, of continuity, and so if, you, if you're feeling really lonely right now, feeling really isolated, maybe some of the first steps you can do is to start to, to get out, to schedule your getting out. I think that's... I will say that that's slightly complicated in COVID, but that is great advice for <laughs> regular <laughs> life. I was, like, I was like, Michael, you were back in like, yeah, these are all my tips. And I'm like... I know, but, but, but we're like in a slightly that, yeah, weird yeah. world. Things are weird. Things are certainly weird right now, though. But they won't be forever. I, they won't be forever. This is not forever. And there, what I have found is people right now are really hungry for a meaningful relationship mm-hmm. with people. And mm-hmm. so, like, I go to Publix on the same day, around the same time, 
to go grocery shopping. And I've gotten to know a few of the people at the grocery store. And, you know, as, as, a, as a dad who's staying home uh, with his kids, my wife works. So it's, we, you know, it would be my one break to get out and I would talk to these other adults. And we became, you know, we, we're not like friends, but there's this consensus, consistent interaction with people who are new. And that starts mm-hmm. to build the, the opportunities relationship. There's a guy I work out with at the gym at the same time who we become friends over time. And I think those are the things that continuity and practice um, are, are helpful hints, helpful, helpful practices to help you get out of that place of loneliness. Because I, you need people you need, and you'll find and that the, this is where I was going with this. The second piece of that is to be the person you met is to 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 be on the lookout for people around you whom <laughs> you might think are lonely sad and, and lonely. sad and lonely but <laughs> but you're doing the same thing for them that 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 you want them to do for you is mm-hmm. that I my guarantee you that when you go to the store when you go to the places when you go to the restaurant the people are are lonely just like you are and they're looking for opportunities to have meaningful relationships. So, so find ways to be vulnerable for their benefit too. And what you were saying of going out and meeting people, I think about seasons of my life where I have lived by myself and I started finding a local sports bar and restaurant that I would go watch football at on a Saturday um, so that I wasn't watching by myself and was out meeting new people and the same people usually go each week to watch the games. Um, and so you, I got to be able to meet some people that way to do something that I enjoyed that felt pretty easy hmm. to get out and have something to talk about. Um, and without being like the same sort of organized event that we're always searching for. Um, right, right. people say join intramural teams when, or some sort of sports social league uh, when you move to a new town. I think right now in the time of COVID, there are a lot of groups that are meeting online. And so find some sort of random group that's doing trivia or is um, gathering to, I mean, there's all sorts of activities. That's just the one that I've seen the most often Um, playing a game online, even just, Oh, our, uh, neighbors or have were their church did a talent show that they showed virtually and then they had um some sort of like zoom reception afterwards where everybody mm-hmm. just gathered together and um were able to talk about the talent show that they just watched together oh, that's awesome I mean, there's lots of cool ways to connect that you might be able to find some ways out there, um, especially if it feels intimidating or unsafe to go meet in person right now. Uh, that there's we've, some we've done some options. Zoom dinners too with like yeah. old friends uh, who live somewhere else. Um, now it's not weird. You know, previous to this, it would have been weird to say, "Hey, can we have dinner on the television together?" <laughs> you know, or can we can we pull up our laptops and eat dinner together? It used to be weird to say that, but now it's like, "Yeah, let's have a Zoom dinner together and um, you know, sit on the back porch and and hang out and eat dinner together or or happy hour or something like that." So I think there are some other ways you can work to fill some of those needs for relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
through things that you love to do. And I have, I have a question, Lindsay, around that, that kind of need for connection. It, it seems that there's some extenuating circumstances that we will all experience that we've alluded to a little bit that the need for what that connection should be when certain things happen to us might need to be a little different. Um, so it seems that there's like a continuity of relationship things like people you've known for a long time, people who've known you over a long period, they know your character, your story, those kind of things. And it seems like there's also a need for connection when we have acute moments in our life. So, um, I'm thinking things like trauma and uh, addiction Mm -hmm. or specific challenges or uh, people who do the same job as you and understand your stress and your situation a little bit more that when we try and wring some of those acute things out of our relationships that provide continuity, it seems like it creates some challenges because if we don't feel like we're connecting with the people around us because we've had a significant event or a specific event or challenge happen in our lives and we're not getting that connection when it comes to like support groups and different things like that. It seems like that's something that we need to talk about as something specific, because if you have, you talked about your friends who have miscarriages, specific traumatic life events that you, the, the, the loneliness that you feel and the isolation that we can feel from that. If we expect to find that connection from our lifelong continuity things and letting, instead of letting them just be supportive for us in that moment, but having some kind of more meaningful connection with people who are going to specifically understand what we're going through, it seems like there's some opportunity for us to chat around that a little bit too. Yeah, I think that a lot of times loneliness, as we said, can provoke this feeling of no one else feels this way. And support groups are... Um, in some ways, a direct contradiction of that, of saying, you're not the only one that experienced this. There's some really great uh, groups around um, infertility, miscarriage, um, since we mentioned that already, about um, Alzheimer's support groups, if you're a caregiver, bereavement groups, um, some very specific for uh, widows, uh, some for loss of a child, some are more broad that if you've just lost somebody in your life, uh, there are suicide support groups that are specifically around that so that if, because uh, that's a very unique situation. Mm-hmm. Um I think sometimes those those places are a great way to start to seek connection when you feel even more disconnected mm-hmm. because of some event that seems highly unlikely that somebody else would connect with mm-hmm. during the time that you've experienced it. I, I, I found that to be a great resource, too, in supporting friends. I think mm-hmm. when we have those long-term relationships and someone experiences challenge or trauma, being able to connect someone with a support group and then help them debrief those relationships and those conversations and those moments creates a lot of space and opportunity for connection to really come against loneliness while at the same time allowing a little more focused conversation and empathy to be created with people who have been through or been on the other side of it. It's really difficult for me when I have somebody who's experiencing something that I haven't been through 
and go on the other side. I can have empathy and want to show compassion and understanding. Uh, but a lot of the time when we've been able to, when we can connect with people who really understand the ins and outs of that challenge and that trauma, it really creates opportunities. I have found that my relationships with my friends and family around those things have grown stronger. And I find more meaning in those connections because their support for some of the specific circumstances and challenges that we find ourselves in as well. Yeah, I think that goes to show what we need in different seasons. Um, Sometimes there's ways that people can be with us through those really hard moments. And then there's other hard moments where we really need to talk to somebody that has their life might have been uprooted in a similar way that ours was because of that moment. Uh, It doesn't make your other friendships less valuable or less Mm -hmm. important, but we can need lots of different types of relationships. Mm. Yeah. I think our expectations of what we're going to get and the support we should receive and connection we should expect around certain things um, might need to shift a little bit too. And I think those kind of groups can really help us do that. Uh, As we kind of wind down chatting about loneliness, what closing thoughts do we have? If you're lonely, you are not the only one that feels that way. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, There's nothing broken. It just means that we, we need to find new ways to help you connect and form intimate relationships with some people. And that statistically... There are so many people wrestling with loneliness. Loneliness is not a sign of spiritual weakness. It's not a sign of a a, a mental health disorder, a bad personality. It's not a symbol that you're not good enough. It's... It is a universal experience that every human um, that has has ever walked to this planet, whoever will walk this planet, is going to experience. And it often comes in cycles where sometimes you feel like you're surrounded by great friends and supportive networks. And then all of a sudden find yourself in a place where it seems like you have no one to, to share your heart with. And that this cycle and this experience is normal. And, um, and it's universal. And so what comes with that for me is that we have two responsibilities. One is to grant ourselves grace personally for those moments of loneliness, to recognize that it's totally okay to feel lonely, but also at the same time, seek out ways to, to seek help, whether that's, um, taking some practices on of regularity and meeting people or seeing a therapist or a counselor or setting up a a regular time to confide and talk to a long friend, a long time friend that maybe isn't in the same area, whatever practices we take that we Mm -hmm. don't, that we take some steps towards building meaningful relationships. Again, the second thing we have 
the responsibility to do is to look around us and to see those who, who, who are in our lives right now who also might be experiencing loneliness and find ways to invite them into, uh, into your life and into your friends' lives so that they might have a place to call um, home and relationship and meaningfulness. I think what I love about the Christian faith uh, is the idea that God is not ever finished working in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that I know that just as much as God is working in my life, he's working in the lives of every other human around me. And when we approach life with connection and opportunity, with confidence, knowing that God is working in the lives of everyone around us. And we have opportunities to connect around that and that there's more to us than just what we like, what we think, but our identity is as one that God says that he's adopted us as his children, that we we are part of family together and that there's opportunities to connect. And I think that God's going to, God asks us to change. I think that we should expect when we go to seek connection that God's going to change us over time and that relationships are going to change us. Uh, and that that's okay. We, we should be changing and growing over time. Uh, and I think that that's a challenge for a lot of us, but I think it should be the expectation that as we connect and as we move out of seasons of loneliness, that there's going to be change in our lives. And that that's not something to be feel fearful of, but it's something to be looking forward to because that's God's sanctifying grace and growth in, in our lives. Want to say, you remind re- me, you remind me, Evan, uh, just the, the United Church of Canada has a creed called the, the new creed. And it starts off. We are not alone. We live in God's world. And then it ends in life and death and life beyond death. God is with us. We are not alone. Thanks be to God. And I think what that reminds us is that is how universal the experience, the creed that the church created to remind us of God's presences starts and ends with the phrase, the reminder that we are not alone. And though it may feel it in this very moment, we are not alone. You're not alone. You're part of God's world. And you're with a lot of other people who long to have meaningful relationships with each other and with Mm. their creator. I love that. The grace that we have for each other and the grace that we should extend to others is a bridge that moves us into community connection and out of loneliness. Thanks everyone for listening. We just want to say a special thanks to Justin Patton, who is producing this episode. We appreciate you, Justin. You're wonderful. And if you are listening and you have a few minutes, if you can drop us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on, you don't have to write anything about it. Just um, drop us uh, some stars or however they do it. uh, That helps us get uh, people connected to the the podcast and uh, God's message to us that we can work and bridge the gap between faith and mental health uh, in the future of uh, the church and our communities. So thanks again. Uh, If you have anything that you want us to do an episode on or you want to reach out, we see uh, things that you're reaching out to. You can follow us at notalonepod on Instagram. You can message us there. You can send us an email. We'd love to continue to get connected with this community that's forming around these conversations. Thanks again, Michael and Lindsay, for your time and your friendship. And we will see everybody next episode. Thanks again for listening.